beginning our first sermon in the book of Galatians. All right, a really awesome book. And we're going to first look at the first 10 verses. Um, and we're going to start to get a view of where this whole entire thing is going. We're going to see what Paul is aiming towards as he's talking about um, all of this stuff. He starts off with a greeting. He tells us about no other gospel. He starts talking about himself being an apostle. What is all this about? Why does it matter? Well, I'm hoping that as we look at the book of Galatians, Galatians, that it will begin to stir something up in our hearts. And it will prompt us to grow and transform and change as the Spirit leads and as Jesus calls. Amen? Amen. 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 <laughs> so, has someone ever served you? Do you know what I mean? Not like, you just got served, but I mean like... <laughs> I mean, like, has someone ever served you, like, in the role of a servant? Served you something, done something for you, humbled themselves in order to serve you in some way? I can think of a few experiences. As those people have served you, think about that memory. Anywhere in that occurrence, did you ever feel uncomfortable? Did you ever feel like, I don't want you to do this. No, no, no. Just don't serve me. Don't. Right? Kind of like Peter when Jesus gets down to wash his feet. And Peter's like, oh, no. Lord, you cannot touch my feet. I am not worthy for you to touch me, my feet. You're the, you're the king. You're the chosen one of God. And you would serve me. I can't allow it. Now question. Those who don't allow themselves to be served. To receive some kind of gift. Are those people really being humble? Or are those people being proud? Are they saying... Oh no, you can't serve me because I don't want anybody to know that I need help in some way. I don't want people to know that I need to be served. And when I've been served by people who have humbled themselves, it makes me feel uncomfortable, awkward, weird. Like, I, I don't even want you to stop, please. I would almost rather people be mean to me than humbly serve me. Because when they humbly serve me, it calls me to meet their service with my own humility. And it's easy to be proud. It's easy to be comfortable in my arrogance. It's hard to be humble. And when somebody demonstrates true, genuine humility to me, if I'm not meeting their humility with humility of my own, not the humility of Oh, don't serve me, I'm not worthy. But the humility of allowing them to serve me. Then my arrogance kind of shows and my pride kind of comes out. And then people look and, oh, that's where the uncomfortable comes from. Does that make sense? Well, 
in Galatians, Paul is going to talk about this foolishness. Right? This foolishness of the Galatians. Right? In fact, he starts off chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1, he's like, you foolish Galatians. And you're like, hmm, what are they being foolish about? What is all, what is all this? What is this foolishness? I want to know. And what I want to talk about is, as we're talking about the arrogance of not allowing yourself to be served, I want to talk about the arrogance of foolishness. Foolishness is very arrogant. You think that fools, because they're not filled with wisdom, that there would be like this auto-humility that kicks in, right? Not true. In fact, less informed, more ignorant, foolish people who know less about life tend to be more arrogant because they don't see the error of their ways. Is that making sense? In fact, Proverbs twelve fifteen. anybody know it? Twelve fifteen says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. A fool is right in his own eyes, or the fool is justified in his own eyes. The fool is comfortable with the way things are and the way that he is in his own eyes. The fool doesn't see any need for change. And not because of a clear, calculated wisdom of, I considered this, and I've prayed about this, and I've brought this before the Lord, and I've carefully considered the counsel of the wise people, and I've heeded it. Not because of that, but because they're already right in their own eyes. In fact, the fool has this thing within them, this like little switch in their head. You know when, when a circuit gets short-circuited, it's like, right? There's like this bypass switch that goes off in a different direction. The power doesn't go where it's supposed to go. As the current of electricity is traveling along our brains... It's almost like the fool has this short circuit that goes and diverts the power elsewhere. And this short circuit says, I am right about everything. The fool is right in his own eyes. The fool has a short circuit in their reasoning, in their rationality, in their ability to be given over to wisdom. See, wisdom starts when you say, I don't know everything. Wisdom starts when, you're allow, when you allow yourself to listen to the counsel of somebody who is wise and allow them to give you input into your life. But rather, the fool is the one who has that short circuit in their rationality that goes and diverts the electricity away from where it's supposed to go. And it says, whatever you just said to me, I'm right. Cool? I think this is the foolishness of the Galatians. See, the way they're living in the way they're doing Christianity in these churches of Galatia is Galatia. Um, they're doing it as wise in their own eyes. They're doing it as fools. They're doing it in a place where there isn't the ability of someone to speak into their lives. And that's why the first part of this whole letter, Paul's going to have to establish his own apostleship and say, Listen, I'm not just an apostle from men. I'm an apostle appointed by God himself. So these words I'm about to speak to you in the rest of this letter, I want you to heed these words. 
because your natural tendency is to not heed these words. Oh, you foolish Galatians, you. Right? See, the way these Galatians are doing Christianity, they're doing mostly good things. If we're looking at their behavior, if we're looking at their actions, if we're looking at the way that they conduct themselves, they're doing good things. Good things that upstanding Christian citizens would do. They're keeping the law. And they're telling others to keep the law. And they're doing good things with good intentions. That's all we want from Christians, right? Doing good things with good intentions, behaving themselves, acting the right way. That's all we want, right? Or is it? I don't know. Let's read the first part of Galatians. And it's going to take us like five years to get through Galatians. It's only six chapters. I'm kidding. You guys chill out. This is how Paul starts off the letter of Galatians. Starts off with a greeting. As opposed to his other epistles, there's not a prayer for the churches of Galatia in this letter. He skips the prayer part and starts already correcting some notions of the way that they're doing things. So he says this, Galatians 1.1. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. Paul's saying this. I'm an apostle not appointed by man. If I was appointed by man, anything I'm about to say, you would ignore it because you're foolish and you're wise in your own eyes. You would disregard it. You would short-circuit it and say, I'm auto-right. Galatians can't be wrong. So he points out, I'm an apostle not by man's will or through man, but by God himself. The Lord Jesus Christ and his father, it was his good will to make me an apostle to deliver this very message to you. So these words in these six chapters of this letter, I hope you're listening. Because you need to hear this. And not from me, Paul, but from God himself, the one who appointed me. To the churches of Galatia. It says churches because this is not like a church. It's not like there was a church of Galatia. It's this huge metropolitan area. It's not like there was one big church of like five, ten thousand people that was the church of Galatia. This is the churches of Galatia, meaning there's a bunch of little churches in the area of Galatia that all meet in like houses and stuff like that. And he's writing to all of them. He's writing one letter, and it's to be distributed amongst all of them because all of them seem to have the same thing going on. Do you know what I mean? Like, although they're different little bodies, individual bodies, this geographical area that holds this portion of the body of Christ, it's all infected with the same kind of thing, this common thing. Right? So he says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. He specifies that about Jesus Christ. Right? 
he gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Sounds like a good greeting, right? Amen. I would love to start off a greeting like that. Listen, you guys, you need to listen up because I'm not here because somebody told me to be here. I'm here because God told me to be here. And these words I'm about to say, these are mine. These are from Jesus. And so you need to open up your dang ears right now, you foolish Galatians, because listen, this is what God has to say to you. That would be pretty boss to start off a letter that way. Okay, so (laughs) this is... After that lengthy introduction, and he's like establishing already his apostleship. This is what he says, starting in verse six. He goes, I am astonished. I am surprised. I'm taken aback that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Here's the foolishness. You are believing a different gospel other than the gospel that was preached to you. And he says, not that there is another one. It's not like there is another gospel, but you're believing some other version of whatever this is. You're believing something else and basing your life upon that apparent truth. And you're living like there's another gospel. But he goes, listen, there is no other gospel. There's no other gospel than the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one preached to you, Let him be accursed. If a man shows up, says he's a prophet. If an angel shows up, shining in glorious heavenly splendor, and starts telling you a different gospel other than the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ, if anybody does that, let him be accursed. Let him be damned to hell. Man, that's that's intense. Paul's not messing around here. Right? Paul's going after it. And I can imagine that writing something like this might have felt a little bit uncomfortable. Like you're calling people out on their stuff. Like you're telling people like, uh-uh, you know, you're doing the snappy fingers. You're saying this isn't what Christianity is about. It's not just about doing good things. It asks the why question. Why are we doing good things? Make sense? Let me read this last verse. Verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And he goes, all all of this, this whole apostleship thing that I'm doing, is this about making man happy or about making God happy? Is this about doing man's will and making man's will happen on earth? Or is this about doing God's will and making God's will happen on earth? 
And it seems like the two are sometimes in competition. Right? And if Paul is trying to recorrect the direction and the track that the Galatian church is on, and he's trying to align them with the Father's will and get them going that direction, glory to the Father through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. Then he will probably have to upset some men. Some men are going to be really happy about the things that Paul is saying. And some men are going to be really upset about the things that Paul is saying. Because if he's saying things like, hey, listen, you are saved only exclusively and completely by grace and nothing else, nothing else upon that grace. That is the only thing that saves you. If he's saying a message like that, People might start to get upset and they're like, well, what about all these things I've done with my life? Don't they count for something? And you could see how people would start to stir and get a little frustrated and angered and get upset, right? And see, Paul is already establishing his apostleship, his unique apostolic authority from God. And he's going to be arguing for that all the way into chapter 2 to say, listen, Galatians, this stuff I'm about to say to you, there's no refuting it. It's on authority of God himself. Because Paul had this experience, right? It's not like he was looking for this role. This role came looking for him, right? He was walking on the Damascus mode. Mode. (laughs) Rocking. He was walking on the Damascus road. Going to do his proud Jewish church persecuting stuff that Paul does. Climbing the ranks of Judaism to achieve for himself what he could by his own might. Yet the Lord Jesus blinds him on the Damascus road, encounters him there and goes, Saul, Saul, because he's still Saul at this point. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And at that time, Saul was like, who are you? What is this all about? I thought I was doing good things. I thought I was keeping the law. I thought I was living in a way that pleased God. Yet God interrupts his forward progress, stops him in his tracks of what he's doing. He's like, that whole stuff that you did, that climbing through the ranks of Judaism, that stuff that impresses men, I'm not impressed, Saul. I'd rather you grasp on to another truth. Right? So from the Damascus road, God leads Saul by the Holy Spirit out to the desert of Arabia. Cray cray, right? Out to the desert of Arabia to speak to him one on one the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
and to reveal his purposes for the church and for his purposes for the world in Jesus Christ. And upon encountering these truths, Saul came back a different man. In fact, he wasn't Saul, he was Paul. Saul went from Damascus to Arabia, had this literally blinding experience, like the truth of Jesus Christ just knocked him over, like he couldn't see anything else. The world was wiped away, and all that was before him was the blinding light of the truth and the grace and the love of Jesus. And as soon as the Lord finished that special time with Saul or Paul, he sends them back, not to Jerusalem to go confer with people, not to anywhere else, but he sends them back to Damascus. And he equips them with this new calling, with this new role, and with this new gospel truth. He's called to be an apostolic leader, which means he's entrusted with the gospel of Jesus and he's supposed to go to areas around what was at that time considered the world. It was the extent of the world, Mediterranean basin, you know, other places around the world were just like mythical far off places that only exist in our imaginations. (laughs) I mean, this was the world. He was to go into all the world, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He was called to go do good things. Now, why are these good things different than the good things that the church of Galatia, the churches of Galatia were apparently doing? Keeping the law, protecting sacred rights that have been passed down from generation to generation. Why is it bad when the churches of Galatia are doing them? And why is it good for Paul to be doing this? Because Paul's mission was prompted, commenced, and sent forth by the Lord Jesus himself. And he is giving this message after he comes back from his desert experience. Listen, you foolish Galatians. There's no other gospel. And I don't know how to say it any plainer. There's no other gospel than the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. No other option. The implication is... Somebody is promoting a gospel different than the gospel of grace, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't have to say this. Somebody is promoting a different gospel. And I'm going to call that man's gospel. As opposed to Christ's gospel. And man's gospel is this foolishness that Paul is trying to point a finger at. You see, man's gospel says, I can do something to be right with God. 
I can act a certain way. I can behave a certain way. I can keep a certain number of rules. I can do something to my body like circumcision. And that is my righteousness. Sounds good, right? Do good stuff. God's happy with you. Act a certain way. You make him pleased and get this angry, nagging God off your back. Well, let me ask, is that image of the angry, nagging God the image of the true God? Or is that the God of a different gospel? If there is a version of reality that we're living according to that says, I can make God happier than he already is with me by doing X, Y, and Z, then that is man's gospel. And that is foolishness. The foolishness that Paul is rebuking this Galatian church for. On the other hand, ta-da, bing, ba-da-boom, yay, light bulb, right? If there is this foolishness, how do we lean the other direction? You know? How do we walk in not foolishness, but in wisdom? And the wisdom is Christ's gospel. And Christ's gospel is not a gospel of works. It's not a gospel about keeping the law. It's not a gospel about behaving yourself. And it's not a gospel that promotes spiritual pride. Christ's gospel is to be humbly, completely, totally bowed down at the wonder and the awe and the works of Jesus Christ. And that's harder than living by works. It is harder to do nothing about our own state of imperfection. We're all imperfect. We all have a state of imperfection. We all have things about us that we're not happy about or that people around us are not happy about, right? It is easier to work and change and change ourselves and change our habits and change our beliefs and change thing, become a different person. Do enough, strive enough, try hard enough to please man. It is easier to do that because we can see immediate results. As opposed to live by the gospel of grace. Because that requires faith. It requires faith to believe that somebody who I can't see at this moment died for me and made me right before God and before man and there is no man or no enemy to fear because I'm righteous 
by the only judge who can call anyone righteous. Martin Luther, you guys know Martin Luther? Not the king. Not the, I have a dream. He, he, was, a, he was a good Martin Luther as well. But you know the other Martin Luther? Like the father of the Reformation? Like the one who nailed the 95 theses to the church door at Wittenberg? He was like, listen, boys, I want to have a talk. It's all about grace and it's not about works. In fact, people say that it was Martin Luther's reading of the book of Galatians that prompted the Reformation. That's powerful. So what could the reading of the book of Galatians prompt in our lives? Radical Christ-honoring desirable change? Maybe. Hopefully. That would be nice. Martin Luther had to say this about Galatians in his commentary on the book of Galatians. He says this quote, To be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone is the hardest thing. To be convinced in our hearts that we have forgiveness of sins and peace with God by grace alone. That's the hardest thing. Yet that is the call to live by faith. And as we do this, what Martin Luther is talking about, what Paul is talking about, and what Paul is telling the Galatians to start doing and thinking about, is he's kind of slowing everything down. And he's saying, hold on. You're Christians, right? Right? You're called to love people, right? Right? Now, before you start go throwing your love around like nobody's business... Before you start loving people with your works, before you start loving people with strings attached in order to gain something for yourself, hold up, Galatians, hold up. Before you can give, I need you to receive. Before you can go start giving love and acting right and being righteous and living the right way and doing the right things and behaving yourself. You're doing all this good stuff, but you're still doing it by works. Before you go and start giving and doing and loving and being, I first need you to receive. You're like, okay, well, what do I receive? Let me get on it. Well, don't start receiving by works. Just receive by receiving. Receive as you would receive a gift. Receive as if someone was serving you. 
that requires this humility that requires this non-repayment of their giver this requires this crazy faith that I don't have to do anything I don't have to change myself I don't have to be anything different than just sit here and simply receive the gift of the grace of Jesus Christ And what's his gift? His gift is himself. His gift is the eternal being, the timeless being, the one who is outside of time itself. The all-powerful, the creator, the sustainer of all, the one who if he let go of the universe, it would fall apart. That one, the Lord of all, whether people choose to admit it or not, doesn't matter. One day everybody's going to recognize. That one, the biggest, the greatest, the most powerful, humbling himself and washing the feet of his disciples in the form of stepping into time Becoming a human, humbling himself, obeying to the point of death, even death on a cross, and giving himself for those who would choose him. And he extends that to any who would choose him. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. This is the gift of himself. And it's not just a gift, it's a humble gift. It's a humble gift that the all-powerful would become nothing and die to give himself to us so that his life would become our life. And this isn't just a gift, and it's not just a humble gift, it's a complete and humble gift. Meaning, in his death was everything that we needed to be reconciled with God. Everything. Jesus equals everything. And not anything on top of that. And not some keeping of the law, and not some keeping up appearances, and not some behaving before particular people, and not in front of other people. Not doing the right things. Not making him happy. He was happy with us when we were far off. When we were still sinners. He came and died for us. And sent Jesus. His gift. His humble gift. His complete and humble gift. That is perfect on its own. That we need to add nothing to. Well what do you do? When the king of the universe serves you in such a way that he gives you a complete and humble gift of himself. Do you go, oh, let me help God save me? Like, I understand your 
servant of God, but I want to do a little bit to help you. I want to give back. Is giving back a bad thing? Only when we do it in arrogance. When our arrogance says, your gift is complete, but not complete enough for me. We shoot down God's gift. And we tell him it's incomplete. And we tell God, I'll say you're enough, but you're not really enough. And I'll say that I live according to grace, and I'll appreciate grace, and that's nice that you did that for me, but I'm still going to live by my works. I'm still going to strive and do and be and make people happy. This is where Paul is correcting the Galatians. He goes, just sit there and just receive that gift. Before you do anything, I want you to do stuff eventually. Hang on. Before you do anything, stop spinning your wheels in the mud and just chill out for a sec. Just receive this gift of grace and let it wash over you and transform you and make you into something totally different. And when you go and live the way you're now called to live, you won't be doing it out of this foolishness. You'll be doing it out of the wisdom of you're not trying to earn what you already have. And now you can participate with God in the works that he has prepared for you before the beginning of the world. Good works, good things. But now it's different because you get it. And your good works are not to earn the salvation that is only a gift. Your good works are the expression of the love that was first expressed to you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, help us to recognize this. Help us to get this through our heads and our hearts. Let this become a reality in our lives. Let us be people who learn to receive your complete and humble gift of yourself. God, let us remind us when we're trying to earn what we already have. And as we do good things and good works, let them not be to make you happy, but let us do those because we know that you're already happy with us. So help us, remind us, be kind and gracious toward us, be patient with us as we work through our own foolishness. And God, lead us into the wisdom of the gospel of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.